Good morning. How in the world are you? I see you've all come out of quarantine today. That's a good thing. I was telling someone before the services that this is Missouri, the show me state, and uh, some of you refuse to wear masks. You've gotta, you've gotta get the virus before you believe it's real, don't you? Show me that virus. Um, it is good to see you. I was gonna stay with some friends up in, um, um, oh, the name has just escaped me up the interstate. Belton, thank you, up in Belton, but on Monday they got the COVID in their house, so I kept texting all week uh, to the wife saying, be sure to go over to your husband Andy and put your fingers on his artery, on his neck, make sure he's still breathing. And um, I asked her, how much insurance money do you have on him? So probably not something to be joking about, but they're very good friends, so I could do that. Well, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in a couple of the uh, Gospels of the New Testament this morning and talking about a very important topic, but also a topic that you are probably very familiar with. And it's always, um, it's always a challenge to preach on something that God's children know so well, a topic. And uh, when we were here on Father's Day in June afterwards, my son Gabe said to me, what made you choose to preach on uh, Noah's Ark? And um, so I, you know, just told him and everything, and he went, gutsy move. <laughs> he goes, I figured you'd want to, like, tell them something they didn't know. I mean, you went right where everybody knows that story, and it's so familiar. It's very gutsy. So... Um, this being another familiar topic, you're going to think I don't know anything that you don't, and you'll probably be able to conclude correctly, why do you need him? Why do we need him if he's just going to tell us things we already know? Well, oh, this morning it is um, something that we've, we've uh, very familiar with, and the topic this morning, of course, is prayer. And, you know, there's something that, that is interesting about prayer, that whether you know the Lord as your Savior, whether you believe in Jesus Christ or not, people that I've met that are, would, would, that are not Christians, that don't know what Christianity is, they will at some point say they pray. They will, they will, they will admit, I guess I do pray. Now, that, that prayer may be in the form of wishing or, or hoping, but there, there is a form of prayer. I think um, when the lottery gets so high, there's a lot of people that have uh, a, a real spirit of prayer about their ticket. You know, I noticed one of the, one of the men in our church and in Alabama, we don't have the lottery. You have to drive hours if you want to play the lottery. But I noticed as I walked by him several years ago, as he was sitting in the pew, that he was holding a lottery ticket. <laughs> so, I think he was probably spending his time praying, I'm going to bring this to the Lord this morning and I'll win the lottery. You know, it's, it's kind of like the lady, you probably heard about her, that, that won the lottery. She won millions. I mean, just a whole lot of money. And she walked into the house and she yelled at her husband, Frank, you're not going to believe it. I won the lottery. I won the lottery. I won all these millions. And he jumped up and got so excited. And he said, well, what, what do we need to pack? Do we, do we pack for the mountains? Do, are, we going to the, are we going to the beach? You know, what are we going to do with the money? And she goes, I don't care where you go. Just get out. <laughs> so 
Um, maybe that's your prayer this morning. But you know, all of us want an answer to prayer. There are things that we want, things that we desire, but the truth is uh, we all need an answer to prayer. And every one of us has a need, even this morning, that may not be something as, 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 as self, self-gratifying as something like a lottery, but we all have a need for prayer. And what's neat is how at, at every stage of our life, we pray about certain things. And, and when you look back on what you were praying about, you think, well, that was really juvenile of me to pray for that. Well, yeah, you were 12 years old. So your, your, your desires, your needs at 12 would be different than when you're at 20 or when you're at, at, at 40 years old. Uh, my daughter is um, one who is very much in favor of all the COVID shutdown. She's only one of two people that I've ever met in this whole year that loves COVID. And my daughter is a senior at the University of Alabama, Birmingham, and she had a physics two test and she had it planned and then, and the internet kept, you had to sign up for it and they assigned you a time and a code and the computer kept kicking her out or the, the program kept kicking her out because our internet wasn't strong enough. So when she finally got logged back in, it said, you've already exhausted your one attempt. You don't get another attempt. And she hadn't even started the test. So she talked to the professor through email because she can't understand him uh, when, he, when he talks because he's not from this country. And his accent is so strong. So she talked with him and he reluctantly agreed to allow her to, to do it again. So he set it up for her again. Well, she sees on the email that she got that she has until 4 a.m. on uh, the 30th of, um, of October to take the test. So she go, gets off work at like 10 o'clock, gets, gets, gets uh, to the office, in my office at the church, where the internet is much stronger than at our home, so she didn't get booted off again. And she goes in there to take this physics two test, and now when she logs in, it's like two minutes till 11, and the first screen that pops up, it says, you have two, minute, two minutes to complete this 100-question test. She burst into tears. And she began praying. Well, I said, Abby, what happened to the 4 a.m.? And she said, I didn't know what that meant. That was London time. Now, I don't know why they would put that on there, but they did. And so she's crying. She's carrying on. I was on the phone to her. I was here. So uh, she wrote the, um, she wrote the uh, professor again. And he said in, in caps, this is the last chance you'll get for this test. But then she was all smiles and happy because she got to take the test and she got an 84 on it. She was really happy with that. But, but she said, I, Daddy, I was really praying as hard as I could that he would let me take this test. So uh, she made it. But, you know, we all want an answer to prayer. We all need an answer to prayer. And here's the cool thing about it. God knows what we need, but he wants to hear what we want. That's our God. There, I don't think there's anything that we can ask him that he doesn't want to hear. It's like when I get a request from one of my kids, they may not get it, but I want to hear it. I want to hear what's on their heart. I want to hear what they want. You know, I want to hear what their desires are. And God certainly doesn't give us everything that we want, but he wants to hear everything that we want. So um, my first real memorable answer to prayer, other than my salvation, was when I was seven years old. 
and I can remember because God showed up in a very big way. So I loved horses growing up and um, I asked my parents, we lived in town on an acre and I didn't understand all the covenants and the, you know, the rural city ordinances and all that thing, but I asked my parents if I could have a horse. And of course they said no. So what did I do? I began praying that God would give me a horse. So I began praying about it. Lo and behold, I don't know how many months later it was, a horse was given to me. And this horse's name was Dud. <laughs> now, I want to tell myself that it was short for Milk Dud, but after owning this horse for several years, he was appropriately named Dud, and we never changed his name. But uh, this, is, this is him right here, and that's me on the horse, if you can believe that. I know you probably thought it was the Lone Ranger or someone like that, but uh, that was me. That's my oldest brother, and that's my dad adjusting the stirrups there for me. That was Dud. Dud was a cool horse because he could fall asleep when you were riding him. <laughs> yeah, he was, he was really a special, special horse. And, and, and what was special to me about it was that he was seven years old at the same time that I was seven years old. And so God answered my prayer and he gave me what I wanted, even though it was something as silly as this horse, uh, as a horse. Now, answered prayer is not getting the answer that we want. And we understand that, that when we ask for something, it may not be the answer we're gonna get, but I believe that all prayers go answered. God is gonna answer every prayer that we have. So there is going to be an answer to it, but it may not be what we want. Let's look at some, some things that Jesus can show us and actually teach us literally about prayer this morning. Luke chapter 11 is where we're going to be, first of all. Luke chapter 11 and verse number 1. And it says this. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. This is, I think, one of the greatest uh, times that you see the disciples in the New Testament in, in that they are, they're on target and they're, they're doing something really good because the disciples at this point want to learn. So you get, understand the picture that they're around him and Jesus is praying and they hear Jesus pray. And what it prompts them to do is say, Lord, we want to be able to pray like you do. Teach us how to pray. So they like what they heard and they said, Jesus, we want to be just like you. We want to have that effective prayer. And, and so here they are, they're in tune and the disciples are teachable and, and the disciples don't always ask the right things, but Jesus listened to them anyway. If you remember, uh, James and John's mother went to the Lord and said, hey, when you get into your kingdom, uh, would you let my son sit closest to you on the throne? You know, these, these other 10 disciples are okay, but you can tell my two sons are the best. And I imagine James and John are sitting around looking like, oh, thanks, mom. Thanks for embarrassing us. We're grown men with beards and you're, you're going to the Lord about uh, us, us uh, sitting beside him. But Jesus gives us some really cool tips about praying and we can get some, in, some incredible insight about how our prayer life can be improved or become like Jesus's, that we can learn to pray and we can pray just like Jesus did. 
First of all, in verses 2 and 4, this is one of the accounts of the, what we call the Lord's Prayer, uh, where it, 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 it isn't this account here, but it, you know that, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And, and it's that prayer in verses 2 and 4, it gives us a version of that. And the neat thing about this is that Jesus gives them this little outline, but then he doesn't elaborate on it. You know, he doesn't exegete it. I preached on this, on this uh, Lord's Prayer many, many times, and you go through it and, and understand exactly what it means and how we should pray it and why Jesus said we should pray that. And, and those are all good things, but, but the Lord doesn't elaborate on this model prayer. He doesn't shame or ridicule the disciples. He just gives them an honest answer. But I think the first insider tip he gives them is found in Luke down a few more verses. If you go down... And he, the first tip is this. He says, we'll talk to God about anything, anytime. That, that's my tip. If you want to learn to pray like I do, then talk to God at any time in any, in, about anything. And he, he says this in verse number 9 of chapter 11. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish, give him a serpent? So this is a, this is a neat thing, because Jesus is telling the disciples that prayer is not complicated. And it doesn't have to be complicated. It is simply having a conversation with God, just like you would have with your own children, just like you would have with your kids. Just have a conversation with God. That's what he tells them. Talk to God about anything at any time. Talk to God. You know, we've all been inspired to pray. There have been, there have been things that we've been motivated about. Maybe we've been in a service or we've, we've uh, been talking to a friend. We've heard about something and it's inspired us to pray. Maybe there's been a time where we've even been motivated to pray or guilted into praying. Maybe you've been to a service and, and the pastor pro- preached on, uh, if you're not praying, you're not, re- you're not right with God. And, and so he, he motivated you that way. Or maybe even you felt convicted that your prayer life wasn't what it, what it should be. And you needed to improve your your prayer life. So you were convicted about that. Well, these things may work for a time or even for a certain instance, but do they work in the long term? I mean, what are some practical things? And this is Jesus. He's always practical. We tend to think with our religion, we make it very, very complicated. We make it very, very uh, kind of eerie and even spooky at times. When Jesus always modeled a very down-to-earth, real understanding of what our faith is. Because the things that he talked about, the things that he preached about, those were the real things. The things that we see and do and experience here in this life, they're only for a short time. The things that he talked about are the things that are the real things. And they're the practical things. And they're the things that we really need to base our lives life on. So here, here in this situation, he's saying, ask anything. And the Psalms are filled. If you go to the book of Psalms, you see this phrase over and over again, where the psalmist says, I go to the rock who is higher than I. And that is that same idea of going to God with anything. I've got to go somewhere for someone that has the answers that can give me the need. But I think there's a caution too, when we're praying about anything and everything. And that is this. Pray to God for who he is and not what you want him to be. 
And, that, and that's a very fine line there. Pray to God for who he is and not what you want him to be. I mean, so many times we want God to be like a vending machine. If we put in a certain amount of money, we want to be able to pick what we want out of it. And God doesn't always do that. And if we, if we approach God that way, then we're shortchanging him and we're shortchanging us. Because God is, is able to give us something much greater than what we're asking or what we've put into the machine. You know, we carry around things that we're not capable of handling. I know I do. I carry around things that, that are just way too much for me. You know, if we want to have a strong faith, Jesus is teaching the disciples, have a prayer life. Have a very real and practical prayer life. Let it be something that defines who you are as my child, as a follower. So if you remember way back in those days when you were in school, and what did they say about school with the only dumb question is the one you don't ask? You know, that was, that was probably me. I, I didn't sit on the front row in, in class. In fact, I hated school. I would sit in the back row as much as I possibly could, as much as I could get away with. But um, I, I wouldn't ask questions. Uh, I sat through a class in college that I struggled with, and I didn't understand a lot. But I didn't ask questions. I wasn't going to do that. But they say in, in school, the only dumb question is the one not asked. And yet here, God is not looking for professional prayer warriors. And a lot of people don't pray because they think, I'm not good at it. I can't do it. Well, if you're his child, and if God is who he is, and he is then you can ask him anything. You can go to him in prayer. Now, maybe you don't want to be the one called on in a crowd of other Christians to stand up and pray. When I was growing up in church, there was a man by the name of Robert Munoz, incredibly godly man. But the, my favorite thing about Robert Munoz, besides his daughter that was absolutely beautiful that I had a crush on for years and years and years, I'm, I can only say that because Sandy's not here. Um, but I had, a, I had a crush on his daughter. But when Robert Munoz was called on to pray in church, it was like worth your time just to come to hear him pray. I mean, you really learned a lot. And you could tell that his prayer life was something that was, was a part of who he was. That's what he did the most. I mean, there was humility there. There was, there was a, not, not necessarily a flowery or elaborate prayer, but there was just a connection between him and God. Uh, many years ago, I was, I was doing hospital visitation, and as I was going through this, this one wing of the hospital, there was a man from our church that was, was sitting there with someone, and I stopped, and I talked to him, and, and uh, we greeted him, and I said, so what are you doing up here? And he goes, oh, I'm here with my friend. His wife is, is going through a tough time. She had surgery this morning and, you know, all that, so I just came to support him and everything, so I was talking to them, and I was like, so I turned to this guy, and I said, hey, would you mind if I just pray for your wife then? And, and he said, no, that'd be great, sure. And so I prayed, and I went on my way. Well, then a, a, a few days later at church, the guy came up to me, and he said, yeah, that was really funny that you stopped and prayed for that guy because after you left, he went, wow, he's really good at that. And he said, I just told him, well, yeah, he should be good at it. He's one of our pastors, you know, so, but that's the cool thing. You don't have to be good at it to be good at it. That's, that's what God is like saying to the disciples. You want to learn to pray like me? My first insider tip is just ask anything, just pray, just pray. Um, so you don't have to be good at prayer to pray. It's kind of like KU football. You don't have to be good to play. You still play even though you're no good, right? Um, and now, I can say that because I'm a KU fan. 
basketball fan. You know, so anyway, don't throw those Bibles at me just yet. Um, there's a really, really uh, appropriate quote by Charles Spurgeon, someone who knew how to pray, someone that knew the Lord really well. And here's what he said. True prayer is measured by weight, not by length. A single groan before God may have more fullness of prayer in it than a fine oration of great length. Isn't that so true? Wow, if we just remember that when, it, when we go to the Lord in prayer, when we think about, we, I need to pray about this, or I want to pray about this, or I feel like praying about this, that we would just remember that truth, ask anything. And we go over to another gospel, Mark. If you turn there with me, please, to Mark chapter 1 and verse number 35. And here he gives us another insider tip when we see something that Jesus did literally about his prayer life and we can apply it to our own. And the first one is this, set a time, set a time, set a time. Mark 1, 35 through 37, it says this, and rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus departed and went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. So here is Jesus, very early in the morning, rising very early. He's setting a time. He's doing this first thing. Now, there are people that are morning people, and there are people that are night people. Uh, my wife is a night person. My daughter is a night person. That's why she was thrilled. She had till 4 a.m. London time to take her test. She could take it all night long. She's fine with that. Um, I would rather be up in the morning and go to bed at night. And I, and I tell my daughter all the time, let me tell you something that God gave to us about our schedule. He gave us the sunlight during the day so we could get out and do what we need to do and we can see. But at nighttime, he wants us to sleep, Abby. He wants us to sleep. He gives us a nightlight. And that's just the moon. In case you got to get up in the middle of the night, you got to do this, you got to do that. After you turn out the light, you can see to get to your bed, but you sleep at night, sleep at night. But here is this incredible time where Jesus is, is sets a time and he gets up very early in the morning. And this time may be long, it might be short. Um, it could be that, that, that he prayed for a great length of time or maybe a short amount of time. It doesn't matter if it's five minutes or 10 minutes. Uh, the duration doesn't matter. Uh, but, but it is so true that if you don't do it first thing, this is the truth. Time is a treasure of which there are many thieves. And, and so you've got to set a specific time to pray no matter what it is. And listen, we know that habits pay off. Habits pay off. I mean, if we... we take on a habit that benefits our life, it's going to reap great benefits. And even Jesus himself at 100% God and 100% man, he had the habit of getting up early and praying first thing. He set a time to pray. Um, quite a while ago, Sandy and I began walking uh, every morning early. And um, anybody in here walk? I'm not going to ask you if you jog. I mean, you get to a certain age where you just walk and that's good. That's really, really good. I was on a doctor's uh, appointment the other day on my phone, one of those phone calls things, and he goes, what are you doing? You sound like you're out of breath. And I said, I'm walking. Aren't you proud of me? And I said, Dr. Smith, I'm not walking because we're on the phone either. I walk every morning. 
he was so proud of me. He was like, and he, you know, he's like Doogie Hauser. He's like 12 years old. He was so happy that I was out, I was out walking. But, um, you know, then those habits pay off when you walk because like we went on vacation in, in, uh, in August and uh, we went with my, my kids and two of their friends and we went to Universal Studios in Florida. And it was, it was the greatest thing because I was able to keep up with them walking. I mean, you would have thought that I was like a machine out there walking in Universal, you know, logging like 10 miles a day. It didn't matter. I, I could just walk. That, that had paid off every morning. Sandy and I, we were like passing up other people our age going by, excuse me, Trustful Walking Club need by here, you know, get, but get by. We need to hurry to this next ride. No problem. I can go there. I can go there. I mean, it's paying off. And, and how much more would I, would it pay off in our own life in the day of our lives where we set a time and we develop that habit? The next insider tip from the same passage, he get, he, he does this. Jesus gets alone, gets alone. Jesus got up and he left the house. So he goes apart from the disciples. He goes apart from the crowds. He goes apart from everyone else. And when you get alone, this minimizes distractions from other things, from other things. Um, This gives God our undivided attention. And this is the cool thing about God is that he deserves our undivided attention. And he needs our undivided attention. Because guess what? That's what he always does to us. He always gives us his undivided attention. That to me is, is just, it, it just, it just makes my heart so happy that he cares enough to listen, even if he's not going to give me that thing, but he's going to listen. He's going to hear it. He's going to hear it. Being alone with God takes us from just talking at him to talking with him. One of the greatest memories I have of my mother to this day was coming down from upstairs, getting, getting ready to go to school. And more oftentimes than not, she would be sitting on the end of the couch with her Bible open and her little prayer list, and she would be doing her quiet time with the Lord early in the morning. And I knew that she was praying about me. I knew that God was listening to her and she was listening to God. And that's, that's just an incredible thing that, that, that she was setting aside a time and that she was setting aside a place that was there on the end of that couch. And, and that is the next tip is that set a location. And he says here in this passage that Jesus went off to a solitary place where he prayed. So you've set the time and you've gotten alone and now Jesus is going to a certain place. Specific locations in our lives. We have these, these locations everywhere. You know, we have a place where we, where we sleep. We have a bedroom. We have a bed. And that is a specific place. And it benefits us greatly. We have a, we have a place where we fix our meals, where we usually go to eat, uh, where we fix our food. We have a place where we relax in our life. We have a place where we park our car in our life. We even have a place where we play video games or where we watch TV or we have a workshop. I mean, these are all specific places in our lives. Why not have a specific place for prayer also? Prayer deserves a designated place. And why does it need all these things? Why does it need a set time and and to get alone and to set a place? It's because... It is, it is that important to our life. A specific place then, if we're there, it allows us to pray out loud. It allows us to pray out loud. And I think this is very important. 
You know, we're in the, in, the, in the day and age where we're just always thinking about something else than what we're doing. We're always multitasking. We're always being flooded with all of these messages and these things and these, these phones that we carry around. They have, they have given us the attention span of a gnat, you know, because we can just go here for everything and go here and there and do this. And we're flooded with all of these things. But if you're alone with God and if you're at a certain place with God, then you can pray out loud. And I think that warms God's heart because it means, it means business to him, that we mean business, that we take it serious, our conversation with him. You know, when we, when we pray out loud, you're going to be hearing yourself and you're going to finish sentences. You're going to finish complete thoughts. You're going to fill out all the things that you're doing in, 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 in your prayer life. You're going to be able to verbalize those things. And I think it's so, so much better in our prayer life if we would just focus. And these things helped us focus. Jesus' pattern for prayer. His prayer time was early. His location was private, and he left the company of other people for the company of God. You know, there are a lot of things that we can do that Jesus did, literal things, and prayer is one of them. I don't know about you, but it, it, kind, of, it kind of baffles me a little bit that Jesus prayed because, you know, he and the Father were one. They were one and the same, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They're one and the same. And yet here he is in human form and he's actually praying to God. He's actually spending the time to prayer. And yet did he need, the, uh, it, did he, did, was he limited in some way in being God just because he was 100% man? And yet if he would do it, how much more should we do it? How much more should we spend the time in prayer and having a prayer life that is modeled after this? Some very practical things where we can pray like Jesus and we can, we can ask anything, we can set a time, we can get alone and we can go to a place because that's what Jesus taught us to do. I wonder how much doesn't get accomplished on earth for the kingdom of God because we fail to pray. Because we don't pray enough. Now sure, there's always those things that we pray about that really don't matter, that God may or may not answer. But there's a whole lot of things that if we just prayed about them, there's no telling what God would do. Many years ago, uh, I would say 11 years ago, we were trying to think of it. Uh, we got to know a lot of different people. Our kids were playing soccer in this, in this town called Trustville. And um, we got to know these people and got to know them very well. And, you know, you, you play in Alabama, you play two seasons of soccer a year. So fall and, and winter. And um, the, the coach of my son's soccer team, we got to know him very well. But he was a man that didn't go to church. He was a man that didn't, that, that didn't know Christ. And uh, his wife, we felt like she did, but he didn't. And uh, they had three kids. Well, we prayed for them and we, we had a, a relationship with them for a long time and never did they ever come to church. Well, a few months ago, we ran into them on the walking trail when we were walking, getting ready for Universal Studios. Um, 
And we talked to her. Well, they were telling us we were catching up with them on their kids, and we were catching up on our kid. And then they told us about one of their kids and some struggles that he was going with. And he's the same age as my daughter. So we were, we were talking about him. And so we said, well, can, can we just pray about him? So they said, sure, let's just pray. So we prayed right there on the trail. And then um, a few weeks later, they walk into church and sit down. <laughs> that just... All the things I prayed about from 11 years ago to today, think about all the things that we don't pray about that God wants us to pray about. This is how I can, I can build the kingdom of God through you if you would just point your prayers in the right direction. Then a few weeks later, I thought it was kind of a fluke and they wouldn't be back. A few weeks later, here they came and they had their two younger teenagers with them. And they've been there every week since then. So it's an absolute answer to prayer, to God be the glory. It's, it's not because of us, it's because of him. And God is using whatever circumstances in, in their life to draw them to him that, that he'll be saved, that he'll come to know Christ, that the, the kids will come to know Christ. Boy, I tell you, there's a whole lot more important things in this world than a horse. As much as I love Dud, there is a whole lot more things that are worth so much more. They're not just temporal things. They're eternal things. Eternal things. You know, God wants to be taken seriously. He wants to be trusted with our cares and our concerns, the things that are bothering us, the things that, that we worry about. He wants us to partner with him for his best for our lives. And that's what prayer is. That's what prayer is. You know, I would ask you to have a prayer this morning and ask, ask Jesus this morning, teach me how to pray. God, teach me how to pray. Because God wants to hear our prayers. He wants to hear the cries of our hearts, our fears and our worries. He wants us to cast all of our cares upon him. Now there's a neat thing about this first major answer to prayer in my life with this horse, Dud. So a few years go by and for whatever reason, because we had a place to keep Dud, we, uh, my, my, my dad bought another horse and this horse's name was Darlin and she was a little uh, paint pony and she was a beautiful little thing. She had a complete full circle on her back of white. So she was brown and white and uh, splattered, but, but then on her back it had a complete circle, which was kind of unusual. And um, she was a little bit bigger than Dud, but Dud was, well, he was a Dud, so he wasn't a dad, but um, he wasn't able to be a dad, if you know what I mean. But uh, Darlin, with some other horses that, that were out there, they bred her and she had a little colt named Trinket. And the cool thing about that colt was that we got to keep her at our house. So we brought her into town, put her in the garage because the mother had, had uh, jaundice. The milk, uh, the, the colt couldn't have the milk. So they had to be together, but they couldn't, he couldn't eat one. So you got to feed this, this colt with a bottle all the time. It was so much fun, so much fun. Well, then a few, a few years later, Darlin had another colt named Little Joe. Well, by this time, Dud was gone, okay? We had sold him, we had sold Darlin, Trinket was gone, and all we had left was this one horse that started with Dud, and his name was Little Joe. So here was Little Joe, and now I'm 14 years old, and I'm in our church, and I'm trying to raise money to go on a short-term missions trip to Brazil with our church 
with our church group. So we'd been driving around on our bikes around Topeka all over, picking up beer cans and taking them in for recycling, you know, for, for pennies on the, on the pound. Uh, we, we did that for months and months and months. We, we, we gathered up newspapers from everyone that we could and then turned them in for recycling for the money to go. I remember our two-stall garage, we had it stacked to the ceiling with newspapers and an 18-wheeler from the uh, recycling place back down our driveway and we loaded up all those newspapers on there and they paid us you know, money for that. We were raising money for this missions trip. Well, here's how God answered that prayer with a horse in that I needed still $1,400 for the missions trip. Somebody showed up and said, I want to buy that horse, little Joe. Would you take $1,400 for it? Yes, yes. So there's, there's how God sees our prayers. And he says, I'm going to do something even greater I'm going to do something even greater than what you're asking. I love it that you're asking because I'm going to show you something even better down the road. And it was seven years later, right? I was seven when I got dud and prayed for him. But God said, one day you're going to be a young man wanting to go to Brazil and share the gospel with those people down there and hand out tracts and speak and share your testimony in church. And, and, and so I'm going to enable you to get there when you don't have the money to with this horse that didn't cost you anything and you're going to be able to sell it. That is answered prayer. It reminds me of this verse, probably my personal favorite verse on prayer, Jeremiah 33, 3. But look at Jeremiah 33, 2 and 3. It says this, Thus says the Lord who made the earth, the Lord who formed it to establish it. The Lord is his name. Call to me and I will answer you. And I will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. That's what it says in the ESV, but the K King James Version, the KJV says, Call unto me and I will answer thee and show you great and mighty things that you do not know. I love that part about God, that he, he takes our ordinary lives and makes them extraordinary. Does some great things. Well, this morning I want to ask you to do something, maybe it's, it's, it's a little uncomfortable for you, but I'm gonna ask you to spend a few moments in prayer at the close of this service. I mean, we got an extra hour, right, this morning, and we won't take that long, but I want us to close our service with not just me praying, but with us praying. And when you're finished, I want you just to, to slip out to the foyer when you're done praying. But I want us to, to spend some time because you can probably think about concerns that you have for someone or a need that you have in your own life or a hurt that you have in your own life or maybe a concern that you have for your church. And I'd ask you to pray for your church. You know what prayer does for a group of people? It gets us all pulling in the same direction in God's direction. We get on his page and what his plan is for the church and what his goals are for our church. We do know this, that he said he got very, very angry when he was on earth, when he threw out the, the, the money changers and he said, my house will be known as a house of prayer and not a den of thieves. And I think we can see that all over America, that houses of, 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 of what should be prayer have become dens of thieves. 
And, and, and if we want God to, to work among us and work in us and see him answer prayers that we prayed seven years ago and, and, and compound those prayers and, and enlarge those prayers, I mean, it's, it's got to begin today. And we've got to have an incredible burden to see God work and to see him unleashed in this place. Prayer. Prayer. So I'm going to pray. And as I do that, I'm going to invite you as as uh, Rachel plays, you can, you can either come to the altar or you can just sit there where you are. Or if you feel like it, you can even just turn around and kneel at your pew and, and take your kids' hands and pray for them and pray for one another. And I just ask you to, to talk with God and have a conversation with God. And maybe your prayer is, God, teach me how to pray. I want to know how to pray. I want to pray like Jesus did. Gracious Father, we are in need of you today. We're in need of you to work in this place. To work in our hearts and and our lives and our families. Father, we're in need of you to work in our nation. For you to be glorified in this place so that you're glorified in all the places that we go. We'd leave this place every week so charged up and so filled with you that we take it to those that that don't know you, those that are hurting, those that are far from you. Father, we seek your face today. We ask you to teach us to pray. We ask you to hear our prayers. Father, we echo that of the prophet Jeremiah, that prayer, call unto me and I will answer thee. Show thee great and mighty things that you do not know. Would you do that for us? In Jesus' name.